Hello, friends. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut. I am pleased to welcome Dr. Bill Kreuzer, the president of the Greenkeeper app, to the show. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Micah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, and I remembered, uh, you're not just the president of the Greenkeeper app. You have been the golf course superintendent at the Jim Egger Golf Course in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, we've been working out there, um, handling some of the day-to-day and planning the agronomics, and it's been a great uh, opportunity for me to bring some of the theories, concepts, and ideas that we've had for, you know, a couple decades to the real world and see how to actually get them to work in practice. That's that's pretty cool. You, I, I was talking with uh, Dr. Bob Wolverton uh a couple of weeks ago, we were at the Australian Open, and uh, he's one of those rare uh, PhD golf course superintendents. You know, there's uh, Dr. Brett Morris in Australia, who's with Syngenta now, but he he was a golf course superintendent for a while with a PhD. And there's John Dempsey in Ireland who had a PhD while he was a superintendent for a while. Um, but there's not a lot of uh, PhDs who, who are full-time superintendents. So uh, uh, I, I was talking with Bob saying, yeah, I think you're one of the only ones in the world, maybe the only one I can think of. And I forgot about you. Um, so, so, uh, let's give you credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so. yeah, I, I contacted you last week and I said, let's talk as soon as possible because I got in my email, the, uh, monthly Greenkeeper app, uh, or, or Greenkeeper newsletter. I, it seems to come monthly. How do people sign up for that if they don't get it? Yeah, I wish it was more frequent. Um, You can just register for a Greenkeeper account. It's free. Um, You'll have a seven-day trial, but in doing so, you get on to our our email list. And and so just by signing up with your name and email, even if you don't even connect to an actual golf course, um, you will then be on the list. Uh, Same thing if you take a Greenkeeper university, University classes. Same thing, you get into our user database, and then we send it out. So it goes out to about 9,000 people. I wish it was uh, every two weeks, but uh, I've been a slacker. I'm not as good as you about getting content written. Uh, (laughs) Even that last post, it took me like 10 hours to write. You know, it's like 1,700 words. And it was just like, I got so much going on. But I felt like I needed to give it some some, uh, good description since it was a a new concept for us. Right. So so this is the... um, so the the post that we're talking about, uh, which it's like a a blog post, and it it is on the blog, and and so you can see it on the Greenkeeper website. Uh, it's about a brand new model that I know you've been working on this for a long time, and I was so excited yeah. to read about it. It's a new model, not for growth regulators, which everybody you know thinks of you as the PGR guy, but this is for another product that that almost every turf manager around the world growing turf on a sand-based root zone uses, and that is soil surfactants, or as they're commonly called, wetting agents. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I read the post and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I want to talk with Bill immediately. <laughs> and then we we couldn't quite get it set up uh, until now. So, so we're talking about it. And I've had a chance to read that post twice now. So thank you for writing such a nice post. Well, thank you, Micah. No, it's, it has been something we've worked on for a while. And, 
Yeah, I've done a lot of modeling of, of plant growth regulators, um, but really I feel like one of my biggest pet peeves of everything is just inefficiency. And uh, I think when, when I came to scheduling PGRs back in the early 2000s and I had that backyard putting green and it was just, everybody was giving me different protocols and ways to apply the materials and there wasn't a clear way to just efficiently apply that, these products. And I think the same thing started to, is really common with wedding agents. And you put down wedding agents and some people do it weekly. Some people do it every month, uh, pretty commonly. Um, and then there's people that try to stretch it out with you know, a couple heavy applications in the spring and then go 90 days throughout the summer um, with those materials. And it just was confusing to me that, um, there could be so many different programs out there. And so since 2017, when I was still at the University of Nebraska, uh, we got our, a grant from GCSAA um, to, to try a, a method to measure wedding agents and like leachate of water to, to kind of quantify them. And that didn't work. And we tried all these different methods. And then finally, in the last two and a half years, we came up with a, a nice way to try to characterize, is a wedding agent working or not working? So that we can give end users some some perspective as to uh, um, what they need to schedule applications. Very very good. And I think if we have time, we're going to talk through this in all kinds of detail. So we'll talk about what method that is that you came up with to to kind of figure out how to check if a wedding agent is working or not, and how to model that. Um, and then we'll talk about what the implications of that are in terms of what like practically how many days that is um, or how many exactly. growing days that is. Um, but I seem to recall that you were working on this or thinking about it even sooner. Wasn't uh, Glenn O'Bare working on this a little bit? Because uh, I, th I thought I talked with him in 2016 about this. We were starting to have those discussions about, you know, how does everybody apply differently? Um, there's a really phenomenal superintendent um, in Nebraska. His name is Josh Mahar. He's at Wild Horse Golf Club, top 100 course, um, really amazing uh, putting greens. And, you know, he's like, he told me that uh, wedding agents, you just need to get them out every two weeks. And and that was really the impetus that, that Glenn and I started to talk when he was working as PhD with me was, you know, how does everybody have such different schedules? And how do we try to understand what's working or not working? Um, and the biggest challenge with the wedding agents are there's so much variability in the labels and the materials, and there's a lot of secrecy because they're not products that are registered with the EPA like a pesticide. So it's you just are incredibly reliant on marketing language. Um, and then you wonder, well, where did they get their data? How did they evaluate when things need to be reapplied and they had all kinds of different ways of doing it like measuring with moisture meters and trying to get an idea from that and i'm not really a huge fan i mean that that's great for comparing maybe one waiting agent to another at a specific day but the numbers aren't something that you can use to understand is the wedding agent doing anything or not relative to when we just applied it so then we started trying some more advanced methods. Glenn left and took a job at Exacto and worked remotely on his PhD on iron layer formation and putting greens. Um, we had some other students try to do some things with different um, 
equipment and it just wasn't working out the way that we wanted. You may even remember I tweeted out there was, we were growing pots um, like about, uh, you know, half a meter diameter pots, full USGA putting greens. And we were measuring leachate and we had moisture meters at different depths installed horizontally. And we even had a real mower that you could pull along that was powered by a drill to mow the plots at fairway height. And they looked cool. You know, a lot of people saw it on social media, but it still wasn't getting us what we needed to, uh, and so that's to figure this out. And so that's just what it is. It's a science you're constantly iterating. You're constantly pulling in information from other people, um, from other researchers. Uh, and you just try and you try and spend a lot of money, unfortunately, failing. And eventually uh, you, you figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that's how it goes. Well, Bill, uh, with this being the ATC double cut, uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce a blog post on the ATC website that that kind of serves as a starting point of the discussion. And uh, then we're going to go look at that blog post that, that you put up. Um, but I'm going to show on my screen. I don't think you'll be able to see it. Uh, well, I know you can't, but but you'll see it later if you watch the uh, video recording of this. Uh, I'm, I'm showing a post on the that's on the ATC website with the title what do wedding agents really do question mark and that's a post that I wrote many years ago after I saw a nice article a summary article by uh, Karcher and Richardson that has one of those amazing photos that they show of the uh, hydrophobicity uh, and the localized dry spot that develops on their bent grass green in Fayetteville Arkansas uh, when they don't apply wetting agents compared to the plots that do have wetting agents. Uh, so I think you may have seen that type of picture where they have such mm-hmm. a, a stark difference between those. Anyway, um, I start off in that post by saying, I, I quote from their article, this is by Doug Karcher and Mike Richardson. It's a uh, an article that they wrote some years ago. and And the quote is from them, it is often stated that some wetting agents move water rapidly through the root zone, while other products retain considerable moisture near the surface, but the data to substantiate such claims is limited. And I then went on and discussed more about their research, and I ended with a, um, with a quote from a 2010 article by Soldat and Cousseau and uh, Lowry. Uh, and that was their 2010 soil science article, which, which for me, it was, it was back then that, that I started, I mean, I thought that article that, that Doug wrote, uh, in soil science back in 2010 really made things clear for me. And you may recall or, or be familiar with that research. I know that Doug is, I actually, I ran the research for Doug. Yeah. Oh, I oh, we collected the data with my, my uh, best friend. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, so this may be familiar for you that, uh, I don't think that I pulled this quote from the abstract. I, I'm pretty sure it was right, uh, near the end of the article. Um, and it said, uh, highlighted the quote is the surfactants had a minimal effect on soil water content. However, the three surfactants significantly improved soil moisture uniformity compared with the untreated control in both years during drought conditions. So, um, 
anyway, I'm going to recommend my blog post about what do wedding agents really do uh, as a way to, to answer that question and get links to some really interesting research. Uh, let's now transition to your blog post, which has a title, A New Era in Wedding Agent Programming. And I've brought that up on my screen now. So anybody who's watching the video of this will be able to see it. Um, let's just talk a little bit about what, what is this new era? <laughs> so so I've given a little bit of a background of, of uh, what wedding agents really do and what they do. I mean, if, if I explain it, and I haven't done research on it, I've just read research, but I think that I can explain it what they really do pretty simply, which is they improve the uniformity of soil water content. So they, they make uh, the water distribution in the soil more consistent from location to location, and they help to prevent hydrophobic conditions, and uh, they make it easier. If you have applied a wetting agent, they tend to make it easier to re-wet the soil uh, after it dries. So I think I think that's my one paragraph summary of it. Can you can you uh, correct me? No, that's exactly it. And again, this, there's so many parallels to the PGR research where the, the growth regulators. We had all we had two decades of study um, talking about how they reduce POA and they increase color. And there's all these kind of I call them secondary benefits. And the primary benefit of these materials were to suppress growth rates. And then you would see these secondary benefits um, manifest later. Well, I think the same thing with the wetting agents. The wetting agents primarily are helping water infiltrate a soil, especially as it starts to become a little bit hydrophobic or resistant to water infiltration, and then make sure that that water is more uniformly distributed through that profile. And then when the wetting agent is there, you know, the, that time is redu reduced, you see but, um, better vari or less variability, which then results in less localized dry spot and being able to ring, bring the wetting the uh, water contents to lower levels without seeing wilt starting to show up in different pockets. So those are kind of the secondary things you might measure with a TDR probe or a drone shot to see the spots heating up. Um, and so I really wanted to focus on what is the wetting agent doing? It's helping water get into the soil. Then you think, what test can I do to evaluate that. And it's the most tedious, boring of all the tests you can possibly do. But essentially we just take um, little cores out of the putting greens, uh, let them dry for at least two weeks. So they're they're completely dried out, um, just air dry though, and you know, warm 80 degree type room. And then you just put a, mill, a one milliliter drop of water in and you just time it. And when does it infiltrate into that core completely? A wettable sand will will go in in seconds. A non-wettable hydrophobic sand can take 10 minutes or more. And so that was the metric. We had something to evaluate. And so that's been around for a long time. But one of the things we wanted to do differently was look at what is the variability of those infiltration times and sands that are not treated with the wetting agent versus to sands that are just treated like the day before. So it's similar to the growth regulator parallel again. 
what's the growth rate of a grass that's not treated compared to a, the growth rate of the grass that is just treated with the PGR, and then monitor that over a time course. So we took the same approach with the wetting agents where we applied the wetting agent, and then we just frequently sampled and started to see when does the, the variability in the infiltration time start to really spike? And also, when do we see that the, the average time for water uh, infiltration starts to go to what it was before a wetting agent was applied? So we were able to, to use that as a metric, both the variability and the, the infiltration time average to compare the, the before and the, the after of a wetting agent application. And so that was, the, that was the method, that was the system that we could use. Perfect. Let's talk about that a little bit more um, because when I was reading it, it, and then when I read it again, it seemed to me that it made uh, perfect sense. But I'm afraid that as we have this discussion, that if people are hearing this for the first time, it may be a lot uh, to comprehend about exactly what the test was uh, and why it's meaningful and then how you actually had plots on the green that were treated and not treated, where those cores came from, and that this was on a real golf course, in-play golf course, and, and what grass types it was and stuff. So, so let's just talk about all those details as much as we can, because I imagine anybody who's watching or listening to this probably cares about all of these details and, and will be interested in this stuff. So um, Perfect. This, this technically... like. Just for consistency, this is called the water droplet penetration test. Is that right? Is is that the technical word? Yep, that's that's what it is. Uh, and then it gets a little confusing because we talk about penetration times, um, which is the result of the test. So it's like a stint meter is measuring ball roll or green speed, and then feet is is actually how far the the ball rolled. Um, so the time is the metric here that we're that we're measuring, um, and so that's a little bit of how that works. And I, and I guess the thing we want to let's just, go ahead. No, no, you you go. Okay, I, I think um, let's just talk a little bit about what does the variability look like in a putting green first. So this research was done on a ten hole or nine hole par three golf course in Lincoln, Nebraska. Seventy year old putting greens. Um, largely just push-up greens, but we, in the last six, seven years, have introduced four inches of sand cap on top of decades of light top dressing. But there's definitely layers. And so we have a, a situation where we have very typical natural levels of hydrophobicity in this sandy, organic matter layered um, system. And so if I took cores from that, let's just use some, some round numbers. If I took some cores, say I took 10 cores out from randomly around that green and dried them. And then two weeks later, put a drop of water one inch below the surface on the side of the core. So you lay the core on its side, let it dry, put a drop of water in and time it. And we did it at about a little under one inch, about two centimeters. So we put that water there. You would see the average of those 10 would be a, a 10 cores might be 20 seconds for the water to infiltrate. Okay. And it does change from day to day. So let's just say this is kind of an average, just a thought experiment type of a thing. So you put in the drop, it takes 20 seconds on average. Some of those cores, though, might be 5 or 10 seconds to infiltrate. 
other cores could easily be 30 seconds or as long as 10 minutes. Okay, but the average, you know, the mean uh, or the median is, is closer to 20 second infiltration time. If I put a wedding agent like Counteract Firm down, what I find is that the infiltration time now, instead of being 20 seconds with about plus or minus 10 seconds of variability, um, the next day after I water it in, take those cores, dry it, go make the measurement, it's now 10 seconds to infiltrate plus or minus five seconds. So not only is the infiltration time went from 20 seconds on average to 10, the variability also got halved. So now it's maybe as long as five to 15 seconds infiltration instead of five to 30 seconds of infiltration time without the wetting agent. And so then we're just gonna keep sampling to figure out how much time did it take for the variability, for that variability to spike again and to see those infiltration times return to what they were pre-wetting agent application. Thank you. And and you answered one of my questions that I had because I did not read it uh, in the um, in the blog post. And that was what depth in the soil. And, and I don't know if, if the water droplet penetration test is uh, like, is the standard to be two centimeters below the surface or that's just what you picked uh, for, Tr- for the depth? Traditionally, you would do it at different depths. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would go, I think on one centimeter spacing um, from one all the way down to five, six, seven centimeters, depending on how long. Um, for this, we just wanted to simplify the method. And so we just thought um, essentially a lot of hydrophobicity is happening near the surface. I didn't want to have it right at the surface because of things like disruption and top dressing that would maybe affect it. So um, around that two centimeter depth, we thought was a representative um, spot to do these tests, um, knowing that there, it might be different, different levels, but at least we can verify too, if you put the wetting agent in, and I watered for eight or 10 minutes, which is about a 10th of an inch of water, um, and then water heavy the following night, you know, I should definitely be getting the wetting agent to that level. Um, so it should be having an effect there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm reading in the blog post and I, I recommend everybody go to the greenkeeperapp.com website and check out their, uh, their uh, blog section up at the top and then you can get the most recent post which is a new era in wedding agent programming and you can get all these details like seeing that it was watered in for eight minutes um and you said that's about a tenth of an inch of irrigation yeah it's a little more it depends on the green right we've done catch cans um some areas that's a lot more some areas it's not it's not as much it's real world it's a square irrigation infinity heads um uh, like 60 60 yard spacing so or 60 foot spacing i guess um so it's somewhere around a 10th to 1500 of an inch it's kind of the average and um the water droplet penetration test uh it, it's really cool if, if anybody hasn't done it i recommend doing it just to assess uh, the the tendency towards hydrophobicity of the soils that you're working with it, it it's really interesting how a sand root zone uh, tends to become so hydrophobic as it dries so uh, 
what what you described, you're you're taking the cores, you're letting it dry for two weeks or longer. You're letting it's just air drying, but that in a sand root zone that gets it completely dry. And sands tend to get extremely hydrophobic. Um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if extremely is the right word, but they, they do tend to sometimes get to the point where you put a drop of water on it and it just won't go in. It just sits there. And so it, it becomes easy to time it because if it's not hydrophobic, the water goes in real quick. And, and otherwise, it just sits there. It just sits there. Uh, and, and it sits there for a, for a long, long time. In fact, um, I'm re- I remember that there's a, a post or a video, uh, maybe both, on the Pace Turf website. I'm going to put a link to those also in the, in the show notes. I'll put a link to this post from, uh, from the Greenkeeper app. Uh, obviously, put a post to the, the one that I give the double cut treatment, the uh, what do wedding agents really do? And also a couple from Pace Turf, because Pace Turf had a guideline of like, uh, you really need to apply a wedding agent if your uh, if your water droplet penetration test is beyond a certain number of seconds. And I forget exactly what threshold they were using, uh, but but I'm going to look that up and, and share that also. But anyway, if you haven't if you haven't done this before, you might not realize how effective just simply taking a core and air drying it is to to cause hydrophobicity to develop which is one of the reasons why you don't want to let that happen in the field uh, because it's then very difficult to rewet it so anyway this uh this seems like such a cool way to check if the wetting agents are really working um and I, I do have one more question about the test, though, um, and the way you did it. You mentioned one milliliter of water, and I've always done it by taking uh, one of those cheap syringes um, and like a five milliliter syringe or 10 milliliter syringe and just squeezing out one drop of water where I, I, I wasn't, uh, it wasn't like uh, I haven't worked in a lab for long enough. I mean, it's been so long since I worked in a lab that I forget what the exact... Uh, pipette uh is called that puts out the exact like volume of water so i always just squeezed out one drop but i never like yeah that's kind of what we're doing too it's been like one bigger drop with a plastic one i have so we used to use those multi-channel pipettes that have um lots of little nozzles on and you could do every other one to get your one centimeter spacing Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's pretty much just a, a large drop of water um and, and so is it is it exactly one milliliter or it's just like no it's probably water? a little less it's probably less yeah but it's so. it's a large it's a large drop the one gentle drop of water and you don't drop it like rain you um no you 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 basically set the tip of the syringe on the surface and you squeeze that out yep you just kind of set it actually just above the tip so then when it just breaks off the pipette it just falls off there and then that's pretty consistent size as long as you kind of hold it just right above you squeeze it um don't let it touch the core and when it just falls from the pipette tip to the soil then you start to test and then at the same time timer. you've got the <laughs> yeah. stopwatch in your other in your other hand yep yeah so so one hand really running. crazy complicated well it, yeah. it sounds it's something anybody can you, do though like you said yeah, but it's it's tedious because you said it was thousands of <laughs> or over over one thousand samples over a couple of years. Is that is that with uh, including what was done at Wisconsin, or was that just in Nebraska? 
No, that's just with us. Wow. Just with us. Um, so if you think about it, what we were sampling, we were sampling every th three spots on every green across 10 greens um, of different ages in different locations. Uh, and then we were doing that every, uh, this year, we were trying to focus it right around when we thought the wedding agent was wearing off. So it was about every three days for 20 days after we had reapplied the wedding agent, essentially, or even before times all those applications so you start the the math starts to get pretty big so we have just shelves and shelves of cores drying out <laughs> that's that's awesome that's uh that's impressive i i also in australia talked with john doyle uh from simplot and uh he mentioned to me that you had had uh found that this method worked quite well and I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool, but it's a lot of work. And then I read your blog post and it's like, yeah, that, yeah, that is a lot of work. But, but then you end up being able to develop a model, which is so exciting. Uh, from, from those time measurements, you can then take those results and you can come up with a model of how the wet or when the wedding agent is wearing off basically and and give some indication of when you may need to reapply it now this was with uh this was with the counter what what's the name of the product you did, did this with one product counteract firm yeah we needed it before we wanted to scale up um earlier on when we started doing this this research in the greenhouse you know of course we had all these other companies that wanted to try their different products there's a lot of them out there and um, it, it just added to the complication when you're trying to replicate treatments and just, you're trying to build a method. So we just use Counteract Firm, which is one of the performance back products from Simplot. Uh, and we use their product because Simplot is, like you can imagine, this costs a lot of money and they believed that I could do it. So they, they funded me for year upon year upon year um, to figure this method out and to build a model for them. Um, and so that's the, the product we use. We use it at um, about six, ounce, six ounces per thousand square feet on the, the material. On the label, it goes all the way up to eight. Um, and so we essentially just continue to apply it regularly. But every single time we applied it to all the greens, I would add check plots, um, little I'm, pieces of, of I'm cardboard. Showing I'm showing a picture of that right now on the screen. Um, yep. So, so it's the picture from your blog post. Yep. So we put a blue dot in the center of a, a plot. We put these little boards down that are about a, a half a square foot. Um, and then we would just go so at the end of the year. We had like 24 or 27 of these blue dots across every green that we were sampling from. And so some of those blue dots that we had to keep track of, which was also a lot of fun, um, they may have only got sprayed in June. And then we sampled for the rest of the summer to figure out when is the variability in those areas starting to look like the non-treated parts of a green would look. Um, and then there's other spots that maybe were as treated as recently as a month ago. And so we had different timings so that we could evaluate how fast did it stop working in the middle of the summer when in Nebraska we're getting temperatures easily in 90 degrees, 100 degrees, lows in the upper 70s to 80 versus the spring and the fall, where we're still really cold. Um, so that we could see, you know, can we use a growing degree day or a temperature dependent uh, model 
to predict when these materials wear off. And just like good science, that concept is something we've been running through our heads back since 2016. Um, and then Ryan Schwab at University of Minnesota did his master's degree and actually proved that wedding agent applications in the winter were lasting a lot longer than they were in the summer. So it was, it was again, giving us some idea that this is temperature is a, a big driver on the duration of these materials. Um, and so that was kind of proof of concept. We took Ryan's work and said, let's apply a growing degree day approach to um, this sampling protocol and, and got us to this point. I have another question about the, uh, like that application you make in June and then it's got a check plot on it or the control plot uh, that has has the piece of cardboard over it or, mm -hmm. or the, the sheet over it, right? And then then you put a blue dot there and then when you make the next wedding agent application in July, does... We recover it. You recover it. So yep. that one spot it gets recovered. So each time you sprayed, you had more spots that needed to be recovered, right? Because they, once they got covered, they never got sprayed for the rest of the season. Is that right? Yeah. And that's how we did it in 2022, um, because we had no idea when these materials were going to stop working. So some of those areas were treated and then we ran 3000 growing degree days from the application mm -hmm. where we continued to sample. Um, cause we didn't know what the number was. Yep. So that's, that's like a lot of these things, you just got to apply it once and then you just have to get an idea. And then mm -hmm. back in 2023, we realized the number seemed to be uh, much shorter than that. So then we were able to just cover individual plots, um, and then sample those out three to six weeks. And we knew that was kind of targeting the ideal window for us. Oh, okay. So, so in 2022, you covered them the entire season once they 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 entered the the treatment protocol, uh, and then in 2023, once you had an idea of when the products were wearing out, you realized that once you'd gone beyond that threshold, and it was going to be beyond the number of growing degree days that really mattered. Uh, then you would then stop recovering them. Is that right? Yeah, like you said, it's a lot of time to be doing these water drop tests. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make sense to spend a lot of labor um, to sit there and put water drop tests on a plot that's at 1,000 or 2,000 growing degree days. And we know at that point, based on the prior year, that that's not the target. So we're trying to locate this point in which it's like a light switch where it's not really working and then it is working. So instead of more infrequent sampling, like every two weeks like we did in 2022, we did much more intensive sampling right around those intervals. And so once a blue dot area um, that was untreated was beyond a thousand growing degree days, we could just ignore it because we weren't gonna sample it anymore. So that's how we could become a lot more efficient. So as we'll keep doing this study, we'll be able to start to figure out, you know, ways to make it more efficient so we can scale it across more products, more rates, different soils, um, to see how, uh, how well everything is working. Yeah. And, and how, how, yeah, there's so many questions <laughs> of, uh, you know, how it, how it's going to work for different products, uh, and, and different rates and so on. Um, so yep. I've, I've scrolled down in your blog post to those, that, that, uh, 
photo gallery of charts um, that starts with the mm -hmm. one with uh, increased water droplet penetration test variability and then fitting a base temperature, which I don't really understand. Uh, and I'm not sure if you can explain it or not. Uh, but, uh, and then, uh, and then it, it leads up to showing that nice little probability of, uh, a counteract firm performance. So, um, yep. if you, if you want, I'll bring up maybe the, the first one that just shows the variability, uh, yeah, and I'll talk talk it through with you. So on the first one, if you have that live, yeah. mm -hmm. that's live. Uh, we can okay. We can see that we have sampling all the way from zero to twenty six hundred growing degree days. This is all in Celsius. This the base temperature is zero. That's right. That's base zero. Yep. So you can we we weren't really sure the, the right base temperature. If you're unfamiliar with growing degree day models, a base temperature is a point at which the temperatures get so low that the breakdown or metabolism of BGRs or wedding agents or anything, or if it's a corn plant growing, once it stops growing, how cold does it get? What's that point? And so we just set zero right away because we don't know. And so now we're just looking at accumulating temperature on the x-axis and then that normalized water drop time. So we're comparing, so again, normalized time, we're comparing what is the infiltration time of areas that are treated versus areas that are not treated. And so for the first 400 growing degree days, base zero, um, the variability is incredibly small. You can see that there's it's so small that um, those points look like they're all on top of each other. Uh, and then when we got to about 550 growing degree days, the variability starts to grow, although it's not terrible yet. Uh, and then after about 600, now the variability in, uh, looks a lot more like it did before a wetting agent was applied. So you can't see this from the chart, but the high variability, that's kind of what I would normally expect the variability to look like. Um, and so we can really see what a wetting agent looks like versus a non-wetting agent in the green versus the, the orange background. I, I have a question uh, about the y-axis. Um, mm -hmm. This is mean normalized time seconds per second is that like a ratio of uh uh treated versus untreated uh, so yep. uh, so exactly. one would mean that they're the same and then mm -hmm. a number of two would mean that it was twice as much time it, it, yes and 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 so that allows you to account for the differences in absolute time that might have been date dependent. And so you're just comparing like you did with the wedding age, uh, sorry, with the uh, PGRs, the uh, the relative growth rate basically, right? Exactly. So we're able to, with this one chart, see two different metrics. We can see the, if we look at the around 500, uh, you'll, if you're listening, listening on a mower right now, you would see that the variability <laughs> ranges from uh, one to three, which means the average is closer to two. So not only is there more variability at that point, at that um, sampling date, um, but when you average them all together, it's double as long as the areas that were frequently treated with the wetting agent. So we can see more variability and a higher infiltration time. I would then say that that is not a wettable uh, soil or, or is not as wettable as it was 
after we just applied the counteract firm. So we're always comparing back to what would it would be if the wedding agent is present. And and that's in the denominator. Yep. So it's a little different than it's a little different than the PGRs in which the denominator is the non-treated and the treat the PGR treated is on the numerator. We switch them around in this scenario mm-hmm. because in this case we are looking at what is it relative to after we when we know the product is working. So that's that's exactly that's, right. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're treated here. Uh, if, if your treatments are actually untreated with uh, with. Um, wedding agent. Ba- exactly. I mean, so we switch it around for, for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So. Yep. I got that. Okay. Um. So so I look at this and I'm like, okay, this is growing degree, uh, base zero, and it looks like it goes up to 450 or something, and it's it's uh really consistent, and then all of a sudden the efficacy starts and and the uh. The variability increases and the efficacy consistency just disappears. So I'm like, okay, cool. Why don't we just make the model with a base zero? And and maybe you can explain to me why you you choose base 10 instead. Yep. So what we found then, this is in 2022 and 2023, we wanted to really focus around that 300 to 800 growing degree day to figure out where is that point? Because if you notice in this chart one, there's a lot of space between where it it's working really well to where it's not. So is it 450? Is it 500? There's no way to, to, to pigeon exactly what the statistical breakpoint would be. So we needed to use um, a, a little bit of statistical method, um, some methods to try to figure out what the base temperature effects are and what the... Um, that kind of light switch 50 percentile point would be. So first we did the base temperature. And so we started looking for um, the different, uh, how long it took. And what we noticed is that in the spring, in May of 2023, we got out to 600 growing degree days, 700 growing degree days, the wedding agent was still working. But in the summer applications in 2022 and 2023, so that could be any apps in June, July, August, um, we made those apps, we would see that, you know, right around 450 growing degree days beyond that point, we would start to see there's a lot more variability coming into the system. And so at first we, we had this thought, well, it's it's not working in the spring, um, which essentially means your whole model isn't working, right? I mean, the whole idea of a growing degree day model is it works, the, it automatically is scaling with temperature. And so what we started to realize is if you recalculate the model with the with different base temperatures, you look at the point in which all of these different um, breakpoints start to converge together. So you do it at zero, and we noticed that in May the breakpoint was um, was somewhere around in blue uh, 725, but in the summer um, of 2023 it was like 625, and it was 650 in the summer of 2022. And you're, then you go through, you recalculate everything again with a base temperature of two. And we see they're getting a little bit closer to each other. 24, you know, then you have four, six, eight, 10. At 10, now all of those base, those breakpoints are starting to converge. Uh, and so it aligns with, 
with a number that makes a lot of sense in soil micro microbiology, which 10 degrees Celsius, 50 Fahrenheit, is a point in which soil microbial activity really starts to increase. So it makes sense that in, in May, when the soils were really cold, the wed wedding agents were lasting for a very long amount of time because it was below the base temperature and microbial degradation would become significantly limited. And so that's a little bit of how you, you calculate a base in a growing ingredient model. You have to just recalculate it and, figure, and then try to refit the model to converge. So it's very science nerdy, but this is essentially what that, how we get to that, that number. And it makes sense from a, a soil microbial uh, uh, population uh, uh, respiration perspective too. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, it now uh, makes more sense to me than it did before. Uh, so what those lines are showing on this summer and then the May, summer 2022, May, 2023 summer 2023 those lines uh are just recalculation of the breakpoint at different base temperatures and then how do you find that breakpoint is, is there a so this is going away or you're just choosing that this is where it seems to break so the first time we did this um well, the way i'm showing here was going back to our soil fertility that's a kate nelson um type of an analysis where you're segmenting the data into two different pools and that's where the, the we would calculate the breakpoint um a better more a uh, better way that we're we're using now is um we're using this segmented regression and um or excuse me uh logistic regression which is just assigning a probability to it and so when, with with this you're taking data that are very um defined in their value a time right and we're going to then say does we're going to set a range to say is it in the range for what it would look like if we applied a wedding agent or is it outside of the range um so this is again getting into a little bit more on the statistics of, of how this would would work um but after we fit the base temperature of 10 if you go to the next chart you'll notice then that there's um, a lot of, you can see the variability after we apply the wetting agent is, is averaging right around one, so that's good. Um, it means that the infiltration times are similar to what they would be um, without uh, or with the wetting agent. And then it's ranging about 1.5 to a half of a, a half of that time. So again, if the infiltration time with the wetting agent is 10 seconds, we would imagine it's somewhere between a half and one and a half, or excuse me, excuse me five and 15 seconds infiltration. Mm -hmm. When we got beyond 400 with base temperature zero, now the average jumped up to about 1.75 with a range I of think, about- I think you mean base temperature of 10. Excuse me, excuse me base temperature 10, yep. Um, now we see that that variability has really dramatically increased. And if we would average the all those points together, we'd find that there's somewhere right around uh, 1.75. So again, if it took 10 seconds, now it's taking 17, 18 seconds for that water to infiltrate on average. And it might be as high as nearly 30 seconds or as low as is um, like 10 seconds in this in this chart. Oh, this is great. So we then so we then assign a probability a metric if it's out if any of these points are outside 
of 0.5 and 1.5 or 5 and 15 seconds in our thought experiment, we'd give them a value of zero to mean it's working. If the points are above or outside of that range, they're out of control, we give them a value of one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then from that, we can do a type of regression called you, logistic regression. Can you just can you just wait a second and let yeah. me make a, a, a plea to the listeners? If you're interested in this and you are uh, riding around on a mower listening to this, um, I have been really illuminated in my understanding of this. I, I'd read the blog post twice, and I thought that I understood what I was looking at on these charts, and I did. But now talking about it with Bill and having him explain it to me really uh, illuminates it even further for me. So I would encourage you, if you are just listening to it, go ahead and check out the video, uh, which I will post, and uh, and have a, have a look maybe at these charts. I mean, if you're really interested in this, but it is, it is really clear now what you just described, uh, as we looked at the base 10. Uh, so, so converting that from a base zero to a base 10. Now, uh, it, it, it's more clear where we have that average of one. And then after about 400 growing degree days, base 10, it, it seems to diverge. And then you've just explained that you're, so now we're going to go into logistic regression, which confused me so much when I was taking uh, biometry or, or statistics classes in graduate school. And I know it it uh, it confused some other people uh, in that class also because it was so crazy. Because we all the response variable is zero or one. It, it and and. And I, I think the confusing thing for me, and, and we can talk about this in rather than just jumping into it, let's like talk about the confusion sure. part. Because uh, you started to describe it. You said, you said that you say that it's working, so it gets a value of one, which, which is also like 100%, right? You're just saying, okay, this is 100% it's working, and so it's a value of one. And you do that when it was between 0.5 to 1.5. Is that correct? Yep. And so this is, again, where there's a little bit, you know, good in statistics. We just have to evaluate what does the natural variability in mean time look like right after we apply the wetting agent. So we know that's when it's working. And then we look forward to see, is there an obvious break? And, and there is. And so we would um, look at what the variability is. And we wouldn't even do it from the mean we would do it from the value of one. So we take a look at every single one of those dots there and say, how far away is it from the mean um, to kind of, that was giving us some, some metrics. So we had to do some statistical, we had to think about what are we seeing here? What is our brain looking at? And we're, it's making these, these connections, like these data look different than those. Then we need to figure out a mathematical model or method that ex- that can explain um, what we're seeing so that we can code it into this type of regression. Essentially, if you think about logistic regression, think about flipping a coin. Heads is working, tails is not working. Um, the 50 percentile point would be your, your coin. You don't know which side it's flipping. If it's um, a unfair coin though, and it's always flipping heads or tails, 
then this type of regression would kind of show that the system it would kind of show uh, what you would expect at any time when you flip that coin. So if it's an unfair coin and you flip that and you expect it 10% or um, 90% that it's going to be heads, that means nine times out of 10, when you flip it, you're going to get a heads. Um, a fair coin would be 50-50. An unfair coin then on the tail side could go to say it's going to land tails more frequently. We're using that same approach here with this model. It's similar to the Smith Kearns dollar spot model. We've done it for um, predicting winter kill survival by looking at crown moisture and figuring out is the plant dead or alive. Um, so it's a method that we've, we've we've been using, but it's essentially just assigning a probability of is the soil have variability that's more likely to be right after the wetting agent was applied, or is the soil more likely to be have a wettability similar to um, before the wetting agent was applied. So it's just giving us a probability. I'm going to 90% probability is pretty good. Yeah. 90% probability is pretty good. And I'm going to describe something that I see on this chart that I'm looking at right now. And the chart is showing on the horizontal axis. It's showing the final model, which is base 10 and it's going from zero to 400 growing degree days base 10 and so like on a hot bangkok day or a hot summer day anywhere that's not iceland or scotland or england england sometimes yeah. gets this hot <laughs> southern england um you know if, if your average temperature is 30 degrees celsius which is 80 83 or 84 something like that fahrenheit uh then you would subtract well, you subtract 10 degrees, right? So so that's your base 10. So so basically it's 20 degrees. That's 20 growing degree days um on a on a typical summer day. Um so anyway, you're adding those together. So 20, that's like like 20, it's coming up to 400 growing degree days, base 10. So that's is that 20 uh 20 hot summer days in a row, right? Something like yep, that. Yep. And that's what we see in here in Nebraska too. We have some hot days, but more importantly, we have hot nights mm -hmm. in the plains. We get real hot. And um, so 20, 21 day interval, three week intervals. Um, and, and that's it's an important point. That would get this to like a 50 percentile. So you flip so, in the so coin, Mm -hmm. It could be working. It may not be working. You still need to kind of figure out, well, what's your comfort? Are you comfortable at maybe 80%, 60%, 90%? So there is still some dialing in, they would say, about you know when you need to reapply. So you're thinking about how much risk do you want to take um, so, in timing those applications. So yeah, so, so this is... So this chart with the base 10 is, is really good, Bill, because uh, you've got the green shaded zone. Look at how many points are less than one on your, uh, well, it's still in the green zone, right? So, you, so basically yeah. it's like, and, and I know this is tricky if you haven't done logistic regression before, <laughs> uh, or, or if you don't look at data on charts all the time, but this is showing that like, it's it's totally working. It looks like it's totally working up to that point because you get a lot of values where actually the 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 value is less than one here compared to the treated. 
And then as soon as it shifts beyond 400 growing degree days, base 10, all of a sudden there's the one single point below that one-to-one line, right? And, and that to me is really the, the, the key thing after you've explained this chart to me that shows there, there's clearly a break point there. It's not, it's not really working anymore at all. In fact, it's like clearly not now. Now it's like, it's so clear that the, the plots that have been more recently treated with wedding agent are so much better, right? That like, that's what that's, that's what those numbers are showing if I'm interpreting the chart correctly. And exactly. And you'll see, again, it's a probability. You flip that that coin, the 90%, 10% of the time it is going to come back and, and be, you know, the, the the other response. And so we'll see in this chart at about 225 growing degree days, there are two points with water drop penetration times that are above two. So a lot really out of control. That's that shows that this is a, you know val this is that actually is helpful to drive this type of regression. Um, it's an all probability. It, you might get a, a core here or there that still is it has some hydrophobicity for who knows what. But look at how many dozens of points are within there. And again, each one of those points is made up of three triplicate measurement times. Uh, so it's really even three times these values. Uh, that you're seeing. So we can get a lot of confidence that the materials are working. And then after 400 growing degree days and this, uh, for this wedding agent at this rate, we then see that there's a, a lot of dispersion. And in overall, the infiltration time has now gotten greater. The inf- right. If, if a, co- right. The infiltration time is a lot longer compared to the area of the green that has been more recently treated with wetting agent. So, um, yeah, it, it's like once you just like study this chart and study it and study it. And I know when you're doing this type of data analysis, you, you did a lot of studying of this, then it's like, wow, that's, that's very clear that wetting agents are, are working. And that's pretty exciting that you can get that kind of result with this very simple water droplet penetration test. So from that, you then fit the model. And, and I'm going to try to explain logistic regression uh, in, in my way, um, which I, I haven't prepped for this. I, <laughs> I, I should prep for it sometime. I have enough statistics books on the shelves behind me, but uh, I, I don't make a habit of prepping for ATC double cut episodes. I just kind of wing it. Uh, so anyway, I struggled in grad school with logistic regression much more than uh, other types of regression because it was strange for me that you have a response variable of zero or one, meaning something is classified as working or not working. Um, or it's like, you know, it's, it's alive or it's dead. You mentioned the winter kill one, for example. And then we're taking some type of continuous variable. In this case, in this model, you're using growing degree days. So that's a continuous, continuous variable that, that in this case can go from zero up to, uh, infinity basically. Um, and, and somehow through the magic of, the statistical analysis software that we use, uh, we go from having a response variable that's either dead or alive. It, it, it's only two. It's classified into two things, uh, zero or one. So in the, in this case, it's classified as as the the uh, 
the wedding agent was working or not working at a certain growing degree day level. And all of a sudden the output, instead of being working or not working, it's, it's in between. It's anything but what we actually measured. It, it's, it's, it's saying that, that there's a probability of 1% that it's working, or there's a probability of 99% that it's working. And, and, you know, when you first get introduced to that type of statistical procedure, maybe for people that are better at mathematics than I am, or people that, uh, yeah, their mind, maybe, maybe, maybe their mind works differently and they instantly understand it. But for me, it took a long time, but now I'm like, wow, this, this is so useful because we don't really care about the zero and the one. What we care about is exactly what you've, you've modeled, uh, which is the, the probability that it's working because from that you can make a decision. And and I think that's part of the reason why the Smith Kearns dollar spot model is so, um, so popular, uh, is, is because, you know, there's, there's a, a range of probabilities. And, and if you, if you're close to zero, then, you know, the dollar spot is unlikely to be causing an epidemic of disease. And, and if it's uh, close to a hundred percent, then, <laughs> you probably have dollar spot. So I've brought up the next chart, which is a, uh, a ggplot2 output with that characteristic uh, gray background. And I see that you've got your uh, probability of yeah. counteract firm performance. Yep. So again, this is at six ounces per thousand square feet on a sandy push-up style green in um so essentially a value of zero because how you do logistic regression it has to have this shape so we had to say it's working was a zero not working or out of control was a one um and then we just follow along and it, t it tells us from uh, a, a probability of it being uh, either working or not working so if we just follow along here at say 300 growing degree days base 10 we see our probability of it working is around 95% uh, or 5% that it's uh, it's not working. Right. So, so the 400 growing degree days. Yeah, the, the y-axis could be reversed there. So just think of it, if, if it's low there, then if it's around yes. 5, 0 0.05, that would be, which there's not, it's not marked on the graph. So like 0.25 would be... Um, 75% chance that it's working, 25% chance that it's not. Exactly. We had to switch it just to make the stat software happy because it wants to do the shape of a curve. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, there's our 25%. So that would be at about 450 growing degree days. Now there's only a 75% chance that it's working. Um, and then when we do this type of analysis, a lot of times you use the 50 percentile as your breakpoint. So then you can evaluate at that point, which in this case was going to be about 500 growing degree days uh, for for this this one, um, that would be a uh, break point where it's either it could be it's likely to be working or not working, and this comes to a really important point. It doesn't mean there's a 50% uh, chance that the soil is now completely hydrophobic and if it dried out it would be dead. Um, it, it's not what it means. It just means that the wettability of the soil is what it was before you applied the wetting agent, right? So it just means that there, it it doesn't mean that everything is, is now not accepting water. It just means the variability returned to what it was before the wetting agent was applied. So mm -hmm. that's an important thing to, to remember. 
which that happens to be exactly at 500, um, that 50% point. But yeah, and this was actually, I didn't have the uh, chart available for the six ounce rate that I use. This was um, what Doug Soldat's data showed, and this was at an eight ounce rate, so mm -hmm. a higher number. And we see that by going at um, more product, the interval or that 50 percentile point moves slightly to the, the right from 450 to 500. Um, and so these are some of the questions we have left are, what does rate do? How do we evaluate different wedding agents with this type of an approach? There's a lot of, of work we have to do still, but at least we have developed a model to, to start to do those evaluations and analyses. That's, that's really cool. Um, so I've, I've switched to just showing me, you, and a, a background image of a, of a, uh, cup cutter plug from India from a hydrophobic green and, and uh, demonstrating the water droplet penetration test in, in real life in, uh, in New Delhi, I think, many, many years ago. Um, so this is, uh, this, is, this is so cool that you, so, so we've talked for like an hour about about what you did and then all the statistics and stuff. And we haven't quite gotten to the part about like how, how, wh like, why am I so excited about this that I wanted to talk about it right away? Why, why did you go to the effort to write a 1,400 or 1,700 word <laughs> blog post or, or, or whatever uh, about it? Um, what, why is this exciting? Why is it added to Greenkeeper? Uh, what can people do with this type of model? Yeah. So one of the things I did first is I went back and once we had this predictive model coded in the Greenkeeper and kudos to my development team, we have three really talented computer science guys on staff. Uh, they were able to build this in uh, about five days for me. And thanks to Michael Carlson, our research manager for, for helping to do all the regression and data analysis. Um, essentially, then I was able to go back in time and figure out how well did I time my wedding agent apps when I was just following monthly intervals from uh, April 1st all the way through November 1st. And what I quickly figured out was that uh, I was over applying wedding agents in the spring because an application in April wouldn't wear off until late May, early June in Nebraska. Uh, then the June application would generally be pretty good, maybe um, around that four week interval, but July and August, I needed to be applying every two or three weeks um, because the temperatures were high. And so this is exactly when water, water management is most important and crucial. And I am now not applying it as frequently as I should. And sure enough, when I was having issues, when I was really chasing dry spots with a hose, um, then uh, that's when I look back at this chart saying, oh yeah, I only had a 35 or 40% chance of the wedding agent even having an effect at that point. I needed to apply much earlier. And so what I'm getting the feeling is I don't want to stretch my intervals um, longer than a 75% chance that that wedding agent is working. I think that's a good conservative number. It's not going to waste wedding agent by applying um, more frequently than that. Um, but it's not going to get me into an area where the, the, the chances of it working aren't there. And I'm spending a lot of time uh, with a hose chasing dry spots for, um, from forming. So um, I really realized that it went from 
weeks to or six, six, six to eight week intervals back down to three week intervals. And then this, if I made an application in late September, I was good all the way through until next March or April with the cool weather and the low base, the base temperature of 10 Celsius. So completely same number of applications, just schedule them differently to try to have a better uh, likelihood of success. Very good. So, uh, you're doing, you think it makes sense for a uh, 75% chance that it's working, which, which that makes sense after you've explained it. Um, yeah. Cause it like the, you don't want to go, you don't want to go all the way to where the efficacy is completely worn off and that, and that's at the 50% point. And you described that that's, it's not necessarily that that means that you have terrible hydrophobic conditions. It just means that that you're at the point where it's the same as if you hadn't applied wetting agent it's the same as it was before but when you apply a wetting agent or a soil surfactant you typically want it to have an effect so you don't want it to to run out like it it's it would be like if you're on a preventative fungicide program for example and then you go way beyond the 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 time in which the product is actually having an effect yeah, think about the fungicides. I mean, most of them have an, a reapplication interval of 14 to 28 days, pretty standard label. Um, you'll know in, during high disease conditions, the label might say that you, you have the potential probability that maybe it will get 28 days. But then from your experience, you go, no, that I, I need to be a little bit more conservative. I'm going to err closer to the, the two-week interval. Um, it's that same kind of a, a, a thought uh, concept. So if you have sands, for example, that are um, maybe there's not much for hydrophobicity there, newer greens, or if you're on a light and frequent daily irrigation, like deficit irrigating, um, you can probably stretch it closer to that 50 percentile point because those sands are really pretty receptive to water. Um, and by watering every single night, they're not drying out as much. Uh, but if you are going to more of a deep and frequent scenario where you're doing a lot of water, you want to make sure that that water gets in everywhere and then infiltrates uniformly through that soil for your next dry down period. So that superintendent might want to be at a, a 90 or 80 percent risk because they want to make sure when they do put that water down that it is going to get into that soil. Uh, and so that is where the end user can start to make those calls because applying more frequently is a lot more money. Um, and, and we're also curious of what it could mean for playability, performance, firmness, some of those other secondary attributes by over applying uh, your, your, your surfactant uh, versus the trade-off of going too long, saving the money, but then maybe having to overwater to try to re-wet things uh, after a dry down cycle. What about uh different products so so this is for the counteract product yes so there's going to be a lot of variability in there um we have done a little bit of initial work with um some of the older chemistries the more linear chemistries um so their shape is just more of a, a line of molecule um, some of our introductory or um, preliminary data shows that those materials, the counteract, you see a really big spike when we see the wetting agent stop working. Uh, some of the older chemistries, it's a lot fl- more flat. So if you put down the wetting agent and you start at 
uh, probability of it working, it's going to kind of slowly decline over time. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of, of shape of the molecule is going to be really important. I know some of these newer molecules have different branches or arms that are kind of like a Medusa head, I imagine. You know, we have the center part of a molecule and then it has these different arms coming off to interact with the water and the soil. Um, and I think that those materials might be longer lasting than maybe a straight linear material that a microbe might be able to more quickly degrade. Um, and then soil conditions are going to be important too. Um, and so that's going to affect potentially the, uh, the shape of these probability curves. And then the other factor is what if we use a, you know, four ounce rate, a six ounce rate, an eight ounce rate, a 10 ounce rate of these materials um, to get an idea how to compare them. So right now these probability curves, they only say, is the wetting agent working or not working relative to the rate that you used at day zero? Um, so we have to find out ways to compare different rates and, and intervals. Um, I'm assuming it's gonna look a lot like the PGRs where the rate impacts the amount of response you get out of that material and temperature is what's gonna really dictate how long it lasts. And by say doubling rate, you might get a couple more days of control out of it, but I'm not imagining you're gonna get double the amount of control out of the material. So um, lots of research. Another thing too is, is it makes sense to do a lot of loading of wetting agent early in the spring even though the breakdown rates are slow, just to really make sure that that soil is thoroughly uh, treated with the material. And then you just make maintenance applications at lower rates through the summer. Is there, you know, we, we know that that's a, a common practice. Um, it'd be great to try to apply these types of models and evaluate how effective they are. So uh, I just see like, you know, a decade of research ahead of me in this space. Yeah, uh, potentially. <laughs> uh, and, you know, with all the products on the market, you'd think that uh, people might like to have you do testing on their products to demonstrate uh, how well they work. So it, it. Exactly. So we'll we'll see how, how the next uh, few years go as we we start to dive into to that and evaluating these products. Ultimately, I think we can maybe even start to group some of these products together, just maybe not in molecular structure, but on the type of um, probability shapes that we see, um, and, and then being able to compare one versus another too. So uh, I'm pretty excited. I feel like in, in your career as a scientist, right, you have a couple of, of you know big things. And my first part was the wetting agents, our ways the PGRs. Um, I'd like to think that some of the things we're doing with the spatial GPS sprayers and the sensors on mowers, you know, I hope that that has a, a, a big a benefit to the industry, but I'm really excited about this wedding agent, just like I was the first time we built the, uh, the first PGR model and thought, wow, this is, there's a lot that we can do with this, this type of uh, research. So I'm pretty uh, re reinvigorated to, to dive into the, it is the, pretty exciting. And by doing this kind of research, um, it's not like the typical like just product efficacy work and then you're rating the quality on a scale of one to nine and then at the end of the year you have a summary report but this is like more making a model about how it's working that can be transferred to a lot of places and i i think from this as you hinted at earlier you said maybe you can figure out that uh, loading up 
with frequent applications early in the season can make sure that all the soil particles get coated and that you really have good efficacy going in. And then, then all the future applications through the year might work even better. And like you can get those kind of ideas and then test it pretty quickly, I think, uh, with this type of research, the way that you're doing it. So um, I think not only does it make these models, uh, but it can lead to some insights into overall better use of uh, a more effective use of soil surfactants. So that's cool. Um, I, I had this question I was, I meant to ask earlier. Uh, I know Doug in his 2010 paper, I think used soil uh, somehow something to check variability that was probably a soil moisture meter. Uh, your, you must have tried soil moisture meter because that's easier than pulling cores, letting them dry for two weeks, and then timing them uh, with one milliliter drops of water. Uh, did you try that, and and does it work, or or does it just not give the type of precision that you need for this? It doesn't give the precision, um, especially in our scenario where we had putting greens that you know, our real world. So we have slopes, low areas, different conditions, traffic, walk-on, walk-off locations. Uh, back in 2022, this is actually kind of interesting. It's not in the blog article, but of those 10 greens that year, we actually segmented them into three different irrigation profiles. We had night deficit, nightly def deficit irrigation. We had deep and infrequent, and then we had more of a model-based irrigation where we'd only apply as we approached our wilt points, and then we try to predict what we need the next day. Uh, and when we look at those irrigation strategies, we still see that these models are working despite different irrigation programs. Um, so this is kind of an interesting aside you might like. Um, but yeah, the moisture meter, then we were going out and taking um, literally hundreds of readings across putting greens. And you just get a variability number, um, but it's, it's a lot, it's hard to really use it to, um, to figure out if a wetting agent is working here or there. Um, and so I think it's a good secondary metric, especially evaluating wetting agents and maybe a flat research green. Um, but when you're trying to determine when a, a product isn't working anymore, uh, then I think it isn't as helpful. So I think maybe in evaluating those rate effects like we talked about before, there, it could be useful for that to see maybe higher rates change. And we've done that in a fairway study on a native soil. We looked at rely three wetting agent from Simplot at four different rates. And we found out that the highest rate of wetting agent had less uniform, uh, less variability and actually had lower levels of, of water content. So there was a rate response there. Um, but I think it's, it's just one of the tools in the toolbox that we need to, uh, to really evaluate how these materials are, are, are functioning. Cool. Um, where can people hear from you this winter? Are you speaking at some, some upcoming conferences or, or are you going somewhere in the summer? Couple. The um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I've definitely been traveling a little bit more though. Um, my, my schedule for this winter isn't as packed as past years, which is, which is fine, um, it's, which is good. I'm gonna to speak to the Metropolitan Superintendents in New York City um, at Westchester the second week of January. Um, then I think the following week, I'll be at the WE1 um, uh, 
meeting in Chicago area. Um, I'll have a couple of different um, training things with with Simplot um, in Portland and Seattle. Um, so I'll be around a little bit and um, trying to uh, also be at the Canadian National Show too. So those are some of the ones that I definitely have on my schedule and that's starting to fill up. Otherwise, um, you can see all this information on our greenkeeperapp.com website under the blog. And uh, I really appreciate everyone following me on social media so that I can get out this information. And if you're interested in our newsletter too, in signing up for a Greenkeeper app account, which is free, you'll be on our serve and then you'll get all of our, our newsletters, which I would like to be more than monthly, and I'll try harder to, to do that in 2024. New Year's resolution. You know, if you've got that 9,000 uh, subscribers or 9,000 email addresses, um, maybe I will ask you to send out a few uh, suggestions to people to sign up to mine so I can get more than 1,000. Um, <laughs> because I also share interesting information that's a little bit more frequent than you do. Um, well, I'm glad to know that you'll be at the Canadian National Conference because I will also. Um, I, I'll go ahead and say what I'm doing. So I'll be in Hong Kong at the South China Turf Managers Association meeting uh, at Clearwater Bay. I, I believe that's January 19th. And then I'll be in Tokyo for a couple of private seminars, uh, February 19th. And then I'm going to be in Montreal at the Canadian National so Show where I'll see you and we can catch up in person, which is going to be awesome. I haven't seen you maybe since Thailand. Uh, when was the last It's time? been a while. No, uh, maybe. It, yeah, it might it have been be Thailand. Thailand. That's a long be. time. That's a problem. It has to be because yeah. I, I never, I, I don't think I've seen you in the U.S. since then. Um, so, yeah. But, no, I think the last time I saw you was at the, crop science meeting no is that we played we played golf oh, yeah yeah yeah. that's well, when i saw it remember when we played sand valley was sold at and kerns and coke you were my that was the last time we saw each other you were my photographer yeah i made those amazing you the birdie i i made two birdies uh and let me i'm just gonna make a note here that i can share yep. a link uh a link to that blog post also with those uh birdie dances um Yep. Yeah, so so that was uh like that was a fun day of limited turf talk. It was a good time. Yeah, we, we talked about sand a lot. It was I, June I was, of twenty nineteen. It was it was end of June at like June thirtieth, twenty nineteen, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That that was awesome. So yeah, that four years ago, uh four and a half years ago. Um Right. So we'll, we'll see each other at the Canadian National Show. So for anybody that uh, wants to go to a great conference in a great city, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other good speakers yeah. also, but uh, Bill and I will be teaching on, on various topics there. And then uh, the Thai conference is back on and Michael Beckin and Devin Saw Carroll that. will be speaking. So, uh, and Bruce Williams giving a very popular talk about what it takes to be a successful golf course superintendent. Uh, and so that, that conference is on, that's going to be March four to six in Pattaya, Thailand. It's already been approved for Australia sports turf managers association, continuing, uh, professional development points. Um, and, uh, it's, it's quite a nice conference in a wonderful, uh, beach resort town. Bill spoke there 2017 or 2018, I think. Yep. And then, um, yeah, 
I think that's I think that's what's on my schedule for now. So, uh, yeah, everybody check out. Uh, I'll put links in in the show notes, video description, whatever. I'll put links to all these blog posts and to the Greenkeeper app. And uh, yeah, I, I just want to say if you've listened this long, uh, there's a reason why I wanted to talk with Bill right away. Uh, I think he and I both agree. I mean, he and he's rightly excited about it that this is kind of a potentially groundbreaking thing. I, I mean, it uh, it's a product that everybody uses. Or, or I mean, if you want to get the best turf on a sand-based root zone and you want to apply water effectively and you, and use a minimal amount of water while still having good turf grass quality, high high quality turf grass, you almost have to use some type of soil surfactant. And uh, so to have a model like this, uh, when you can predict whether it's working or not, and to really time those applications at any time of year, potentially anywhere in the world, you know, so, so in Reykjavik, you'd have a certain type of reapplication schedule. In Montreal, you'd have a different type of reapplication schedule. Um, in Bangkok, you'd have a different type of reapplication schedule. That's something that's really, really cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I was so excited about it, and and I just love that logistic regression approach. So, as long as uh, we did, didn't lose everybody on the mower uh, during that section of the show today, uh, but yeah, it's a <laughs> well, it's a little little bit we'll, we'll you know. I have I have in the uh, blog it says a uh, science <laughs> nerd alert. I think because I know that people would be like whoop because that was me in that class too. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's good. I I think it's fun to to try to talk through it in detail because again i mean if somebody's tuning into a podcast with bill kreuzer and micah woods uh they they probably want to kind of know some details yeah. about turf grass so so uh i think we're happy to pr provide those details but but actually like for the end user it's really practical is you just uh and and the greenkeeper app has that programmed in where you can just uh you know say okay i've applied the product on x date and it's it's going to take your site weather and then it's going to say okay uh you're now uh, 12 days into it and this many growing degree days have accumulated and now your probability uh based on this model the probability of of the product uh having its full effect is is 67 percent or something like that exactly it's, it's supposed to be simple you have to do the math anyways to figure out how much products you're putting in the sprayer tank you just say i want to use this rate um and then it sees it and it starts tracking it because it knows that that's counteract firm and again as we add more wetting agents you'll just select the wetting agent that you use and for now even if you don't use counteract firm just try it put it in your inventory throw it out there um do it on your your plan for 2024 it'll use the weather normals to make those predictions and just get an idea of you know how different is it from from month to month uh, across your growing season so um you know have some fun with it seven day free trial sign up make a course uh schedule some pgrs and some wedding agent apps and and get an idea if you needed to tweak your program for, for the next year very cool well i think it's a great timing for you to uh release this also because for uh everybody in the northern hemisphere um Everybody in the Northern Hemisphere, they've got a few months uh, to, to kind of plan how they're going to be doing this. And I guess we do have 
uh, a lot of people in the southern hemisphere who pay attention to this too. So they're kind of coming right into their summer. So maybe they already get some hints that they can start applying this right now and uh, maybe shorten up those intervals uh, if, if they if they do have some pretty high growing degree days. So anyway, okay. I, I think we talked about this long enough, Bill. Uh, mm-hmm. thank, thank you so much. Uh, and, and again, everybody will be able to check out in the links. Uh, there'll be some interesting stuff there. Um, anything else before we go? No, just last thing. If you are going to the uh, GCSAA conference and trade show, uh, we'll be there uh, at the Simplot booth again, since they're uh, helping to promote and sell our products. So if you want to talk about this, uh, see sensors on mowers or see our new CIS software, uh, please stop by that booth and, and say hello. And I look forward to seeing you, Micah, later this year too. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about our exciting new research. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, everyone, I'll sign off now. Thanks for watching, listening. Uh, Thanks, Bill, for joining. Uh, For ATC from Trong, Thailand, I'm Michael Woods. Bye-bye.